0: You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 65, the John Lord tribute special. And coming to you from the thunderstorming suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan
1: Beaudry. And here I am coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, your co-host, John, the independent man, (laughs) Matola, The independent man. All right. Well, I I do know this one. So tell our
0: guests. Oh, you do. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I do. I have a story about the independent man. Oh, really? Yep.
1: S- standing 11 feet tall and 278 feet above ground okay. the independent man is a gold-covered bronze statue that is on top of the state house mm-hmm. in rhode island placed there in december in 1899 mm-hmm. um, and w- what pray tell is your story about the independent Man? well i've got a few stories first off you I-, I have none i
0: So, so, so every, when I was a kid, we would drive down, Mm -hmm. uh, so we would drive down 146 and it merges right onto route 95, which goes through Rhode Island and basically through the entire East coast. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you get on 95 from 146, what, I don't know, maybe a half a mile later, you're right there at the state house and you see the independent man. And every single time we went up there, my dad would nudge me in the, in the passenger seat and be like, see, see the independent man up there. He's like, you know, once a year they have to take him down so that he can go to the bathroom. <laughs> and his father used to say the same thing to him, so of course, when I was <laughs> driving my kids past that a couple years ago when I was visiting, I, I told them and passed it along, passed along the family tradition. <laughs> and then...
1: Oh, it's such a dad thing to say.
0: And then this is, this is very weird that this ties in this way, so... Um, so the state house of Rhode Island, if you haven't seen it, it's a beautiful building, looks very much like the, uh, like the, uh, the Capitol building in, uh, mm-hmm. in DC and the dome, it's the, I think they said it's like the third largest unsupported dome in the world or something. Yeah. Very beautiful mm-hmm. dome. And, uh, a good friend of ours, um, uh, his father was the Lieutenant governor, of the state of Rhode Island, so we used to hang out with him a lot, and uh, went to go visit him at the uh, at the state house, and told him that, about how it was the largest unsupported dome or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, I didn't even know that." <laughs> he didn't he didn't seem to know anything about it, <laughs> which was really funny. And interestingly enough, his son is going to be guesting on the very next episode of the Deep Purple podcast.
1: Hmm. Is it just yeah it?
0: which just kind of worked out well i know you didn't plan that but uh you did i mean maybe, you knew that he was gonna be guesting but
1: <laughs> or maybe i did i didn't know how it would all tie in so no i it really kind of it tied lucky... in a deep bow you should have actually should have saved
0: it for next episode
1: crap <laughs> let's start over
0: it would have been great to see if we could stump him <laughs> and see if he knew what the independent man was he'd be like i don't know i'd never heard of it um, <laughs> it's funny because the governor you, you want know, to we'd be visiting his house and the governor would call every uh so often uh uh and Dave would answer the phone (laughs) he'd just be this great moment where he was speaking to the the governor and he would always be he'd always like get the phone and he'd say he'd say hello and he'd be like oh Bruce and
2: he'd just like
0: (laughs) so our our buddy Dave would be like talking to the governor Bruce he's like dad Bruce is on the phone (laughs) that's funny anyway (laughs) oh man I can picture it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so a good a great rhode island fact for you there um mm. if you want to help support the show you can do so on apple podcasts by leaving us a five-star review um, or rating and review review would be great as well you can subscribe on youtube instagram twitter facebook all that nonsense all of our show notes are deep purplepodcast.com and you can become a patron on patreon you can also join us on paypal and join um, one of our buddies who has now moved on to the PayPal world and avoided the tax. He's he's created a tax haven for himself on PayPal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he set, hey, a, any, he set up a shell can. corporation
1: so he can pay us out <laughs> through <laughs> <On> PayPal. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, it's just like a real life episode of Ozark over here. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard
0: of that show, but I still have not seen it. Um, Coming in at the twenty dollar tier, we have Ryan M. The twenty dollar. We still have to figure out
1: a name for the twenty dollar tier. <laughs> oh, gee. How many episodes gee have we been is, saying this? Oh my good! I don't know. I think we really. I gotta make a note here so we can get on top of this. Yes, make a name note. Twenty dollar <laughs> tier. Actually, you know what we should do? We should like. You should just tweet it out and have. Or just have our hey Ryan, let it.
0: us know what you want the twenty dollar tier to be named. Yeah, just ask, let's ask him, what do you want to name your tier? Yeah, what's here? you can, you yeah, know, $20, you can name it whatever the hell you want. At the $15 highball shooter tier, available on PayPal as well, we've got Steve Seaborg of nameonanything.com and all the worlds of stage.net. At the turn it up to $11 tier, we have Alan Beg and patron, patron upgrade, Frank Tealgard-Mortensen turning it up to 11 from, I think it was 5 so awesome. Thank you so much, Frank. All right, all right Frank. At the uh, $10 tier, still no one has come to the team. I think it's just going to be vacant forever now. That's probably why Frank skipped right over it. He's just like, screw that. <laughs> I don't want to be in the no one came tier all by myself. Um, but we will rename it if you join the $10 tier. So the $5 money lender tier, we've got Clay Wombacher, Greg Sealby, Mike Knowles. And I just want to say Frank Tealgard Mortensen again because I'm so used to it. <laughs> At the $3 Nobody's Perfect tier, Peter Gardeau, Ian DeRosier, Mark Robach, and Anton Glaving. Sorry, Robach. I've reverted to Robach. Um, Mm -hmm. The $1 Made Up Name tier, we have Els Murders, Spacey Noodles, The Chilling Leaky Mausoleum, and Michael Veda. Thank you very much, everybody. Appreciate your uh, support for this show. And of course, the... Amazing people that do amazing work at the Deep Dive Podcast Network, Riot Sabbath Bloody Podcast, The Simple Man going Skinner Reconsidered, and Terry T-Bone Mathley of T-Bone's Prime Cuts looking for a new home, left the uh, left his uh, podcast behind. He's looking, he's cooking up some new show. So looking forward to see T-Bone's Ooh. Prime Cuts revived um, in a new platform. And then of course yeah. the one and only York Planer who supports the show in so many ways mostly by answering my dumb questions. It uh, <laughs> does so with with poise, elegance, professionalism, and a boatload of knowledge. So we thank you, for helping a couple of dummies like us who really don't know anything about Deep Purple to produce this show. All right. So this week, we are hitting into, you know, kind of a nice subject, but also very sad subject, celebrating the life and times of... John Lord, one of our all-time favorite musicians. And uh, yeah, I guess just to kick it off, what what are your earliest memories of discovering John Lord, listening to him? What, what do you remember about, about Mr. Lord?
1: John Lord was one of the only people, uh, musicians that was in a band where I thought keyboards were cool because... I didn't really, I hated, I hated, before Deep Purple, I hated keyboards, because you know what it was? It was 80s keyboards. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which, I mean, I've come to accept in music now, when I listen to it retro, I mean, I've talked about before, like, if there's there's a time and a place for everything, sometimes I don't mind the cheesy 80s keyboards or the 80s production or whatever, but at the time, I was not about it. So, um, John Lord happened to be in Deep Purple, happened to be... It, integral sound of it and was like the first keyboard organ Hammond player to like make that instrument like cool because the stuff he did with that especially on the early stuff because I, I think I started like Mark II mm-hmm. um before Mark One, but I started right around the, the the classic era because that's the one that magazines and everything that I was reading talked about and um the stuff that he was doing on like in rock machine head, it was, I'd never heard a uh, keyboard like that before. It was some, sometimes I was just like, good God, this is heavier than a guitar. <laughs> so, um, you know, to me, he was just like, there was that. And then yeah, he just looked really cool. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, He was like this really mythical looking figure. I'd never like heard him talk before um or anything like that. He was just this guy with long hair, a big walrus mustache, sunglasses. He was just this mysterious persona who just rocked on the keyboard and I'm like, who is this guy? And that just made him the coolest to me. So, um yeah.
0: He kind of just looked like all of your friends' dads, too, you know, just <laughs> that the mustache, <laughs> the glasses. I mean, uh, my my dad looked like John Lord at one point. Um uh <laughs> Yeah, but my earliest memories of I mean, obviously I was aware of him and his music and had heard him, but I think the thing that really uh, sticks out in my mind is watching the Denmark show and Mm. getting to see him play really opened my eyes to a lot of things as far as what he was doing in the band. Because sometimes you're just listening to the music and you're hearing everything together. You're not really... Z- like like zoning in or honing in on one specific thing, you're just hearing how the whole thing comes together. But I remember watching him play "Child in Time" at that concert and just watching his fingers go, and then just being like, "Holy crap!" Like the things that he was doing, just really blowing my mind. And I think yeah. it might have had more to do with the fact that I. I knew how, how to play guitar, and I guess I technically sort of know how to play keyboards, uh, but I've never taken like a lesson for keys, so it's all kind of it's all just self-taught. So, seeing what he was doing, not really having any idea what he was doing, whereas when I could watch Richie, even though of course I can't do that either, I I uh, I know what he's doing sometimes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um and with keyboards it's just like I don't know what he's doing. And then you got somebody like Don <laughs> Airy where it's just like I don't he's got those you know his hands all curled up and you're like I can't even see what he's doing. But yeah, John Lord had these like long thin delicate like little fingers that were just like moved like so fluidly over the over the keyboard. Um and just did so, and you know sometimes he would just you know, take his whole palm and just mash it across the keyboard and I know as unmusical as that looks if i did it it would not sound good at all uh somehow he could just mash his palm across all of the keys and it sounded awesome and i would if i did it it would sound terrible
1: yeah i mean that's um i mean he was also like uh, i agree the uh the denmark concert was i probably the first time that i saw him live and seeing him live was a whole different thing because like you said he would mash his hand on the keyboard or he pull those levers out or he'd like lean on it and it would almost tip over. It would be like, yeah, like uh, is, is, is he meaning to do that or is that going to fall over accidentally? You know, <laughs> and it, that's, that's more than you can do with the guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I mean, it's as much as you can do with the keyboard and pretty impressive if you think about it too, because um, there's um, w- uh, and really one of the first guys I think that, that I saw anyway, that uh, keyboards and the music that we listened to were kind of, off to the side or was a you know, a special guest or a session musician. There, there was no really, at the time anyways, that I knew of, a keyboard player that was, um, or an organ player that was part of the group. It was always somebody that was, yeah, here are the three or four main guys. And then, oh yeah, this guy played keyboards, but he's not part of the band, really. It was almost like it wasn't a real instrument until I discovered John Lord. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: and we talked I, about, to, about to that a bit with- it. Claude and i think we talked about it a bit with Ari as well maybe but it is just yeah. um that dynamic like what like you you said perfectly gr- when we grew up keyboards generally sounded pretty terrible and uh i still can't really listen to those keep that that era of keyboard m- with much like there's certain things like that that oberheim sound like is amazing like you know like uh like uh sweet dreams by the rhythmics and stuff like that mm-hmm. that's like a really yeah. powerful distorted crunchy snarling kind of kind of keyboard sound and that's just a synthesizer but a, a really really cool one they use the same synthesizer for jump by van halen so you did get some cool things but a lot of it was that like peter Satera electric piano sound and All i right. mean for lack of a better word it just sounds kind of cheesy in retrospect
1: Well, it wasn't a lead instrument the way that John Lord was uh, a soloist on like a guitar player would take a solo. The keyboard player never took a solo. Um, Mm -hmm. but then retroactively I went back and was able to appreciate like what, what Don Airy did on Blizzard of Oz. Oh yeah. Um, um, or the, the other things that we, that he was uh, featured in or what, what Claude did on the, the Dio albums, um. Uh, even though it wasn't uh, really as much as John Lord did in Deep Purple, it's like I, I was able to go back and actually appreciate those guys um, more than I did at first because it, it just kind of opened my eyes to like, oh, okay, like this is like, I always thought keyboards ruined metal, you know, mm-hmm. it's, oh, there's keyboards in it, it's wimpy, you know, and mm-hmm. this is like such a, you know, the this, this stupid, you know, teenage way to think about it, but it's, um, so it kind of, oh John Lord that is is that he was really the pioneer too because I think if you go back to like the 60s 70s who else was at that level of playing like I can't think of anybody else where I'm just like wow like this guy blows me away or that song has the because what other songs in it had the keyboard like a keyboard solo or like an organ solo like born to be wild or house of the rising sun that -hmm. stuff wasn't really on the same level it wasn't didn't really revolutionary the way John Lord was on, on, um, um, in rock or even on the Mark one albums. Yeah. You know, he did some pretty, um, some pretty great stuff on there. A little, I feel like a little more uh, classical based, but I mean, it was still uh, more, I think than you've heard from anybody else at the time. Right.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, I think, I think Lord his style and the style of Deep Purple, the way that they crafted that was just unlike anything else. And when you talk about Mm. the big three, you know, Sabbath, Purple, and Zeppelin. Purple's the only one that really tried anything like that. Obviously, there were keyboards in Zeppelin and there were keyboards in in Sabbath, but not anywhere near to the level or the same way. They didn't have a dedicated keyboard player really in either. Uh, So they just had, you know... That's what that's what gave Deep Purple such a such a distinctive sound and that interplay between him and Blackmore, of course. Mm. So where did it start with uh, Lord? This isn't going to be like a retrospective where we go through his entire life, but um, one of the earliest I I think it's worth mentioning this is and this is could be disputed, but it's worth mentioning one of his earliest possible works, which Everyone in the entire world has heard, and we've talked about it on the show. But um, let's take a listen to this track from, I believe, it's 1964. Let's take a listen. Girl, really so this is an organ, but he does come in on the piano.
1: Hear that piano (laughs) I mean mean, That that could be anybody
0: Yeah I know it's like man I could have done that And listen to this guitar solo So yeah, so some pretty um, basic stuff from John Lord there, but there he goes again. <laughs> if only I'd been hanging around London at the time, they got to me first. I could. It's the one thing John Lord's ever played that I could probably play exactly as well as him.
1: Now, why do you? Well, I'll ask you after the song's over. Two minutes and 14 seconds. That's how you do it. So now why do you say disputed? Did he ever confirm or deny that he was part of that or did he not remember? So it's not known with 100%
0: certainty, but um, they asked him in an an interview from Martin Keyboard in January of 1989 about his session work in in the early days. And he says, from from John Lord there's been so many I played with the Kinks several times I even played the piano on You Really Got Me I was paid 5 pounds for it the guitar solo was played by Jimmy Page but the Kinks have denied it so I've heard that the Kinks have denied mm. it that Jimmy Page played the guitar solo I've heard that Jimmy Page denies that he played that guitar solo but John <laughs> Lord insists that Jimmy Page played it and I you know like I don't know. I, I, don't I you no one ever has a bad word to say about John Lord about anything.
1: Yeah, John and, Lord doesn't seem like the type of guy to go around and make wild accusations. Uh, and also, in 1989, he had pretty
0: much proven himself. I, I think if you ask people, like random people on the street, more people are going to know Deep Purple than the Kinks, even though obviously the Kinks yeah. huge the Kinks are a huge uh, influence on a lot of people. But um, so so basically, I think. I'm going with John Lord. I, th- I don't think he has any reason to lie about it. He's always been a, nothing but a gentleman, and and, and 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 spoken highly of by everyone who's ever worked with him. Um, the The only interesting part is that Jimmy Page seems to deny that he played that that part and, they,
1: and there's really no way to tell because i mean uh, we listen to some of richie's early work and i mean the session work that those guys did back then there was no uh even like Jimi hendrix like if you hear any of their early stuff on box sets or whatever it's like you can't tell mm-hmm. their distinctive style because they hadn't developed it yet and right, plus they and, were doing that for money and, you know they were doing it and M- playing to get chords a paycheck, as a
0: quarter so. as quarter notes ding 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 i mean it could literally be anybody you wouldn't be able right. to I mean, yeah, he
1: was probably a musician trying to make some money. He's like, "Sure, what do you need?" Uh, you know, they they weren't paying him to to you know do um uh, to do anything revolutionary on that. So, and um as
0: far as far as that goes, um I'm just looking this up right now. It is 1964. Okay, I just want to make sure mm-hmm. I was right. I didn't want to get nasty emails from people that says how how could you possibly not know. That was 1964. Because they um, don't know everything. Uh, but then again, the, <laughs> the, the only other part, the only other part of that is that they did, I'm sure, a lot of session works. Maybe he did stuff with the kinks and he just like got confused about it and thought it was he, it's very conceivable he could be wrong, but I'm I'm going with John Lord if that's what he says is the truth.
1: I mean, there is stuff too where I mean think about some of the music that we've played mm-hmm. uh 20 years ago. <laughs> um, like, uh, you know, Eric has sent me stuff recently, like links to stuff that he uploaded. And I'm just like, who's that? And he's like, that's, that's you. Or that's like, "We I forgot about this. Oh, that's us. And that was like 20 years ago. Yep. Um, so it's like, uh it's, it's possible that, you know, people don't remember things or, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, as fans, we fixate on those those facts and everything. But when you live it and it's just a, a gig or a job or whatever, after the millions that they've had, mm-hmm. it's like who, who even remembers? But I mean, it's, um, you know, if that's, I would say, yeah, it could have been John
0: Lord. I feel like John Lord would, if he wasn't 100% sure, he'd be like, I, I did a lot of session work that time. I, I did some work with the kinks. I think I'm in the song. I can't be a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure I played on that. I think he would, he would hedge it if he was unsure. Mm hmm. Anyway, after that, he gets into a band called the Artwoods with none other than Artwood, brother of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Artwood, of the Artwoods, um, mm. brother of Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones. Um, and the Artwoods, we've, again, we've talked about them before. We we're talking about the, in, in our very, very early episodes, talking about the lead up to the members joining Deep Purple. And here's a, a, a song called walk on the wild side and this song features uh features some pretty good john lord keyboard work and we know for sure this is him here we go not often you see hear sleigh balls on a non-christmas song that's true you got that great album cover with john lord in the back there with his glasses on no mustache
1: Oh, yeah, you can instantly tell it's John Lord. So weird, huh? This
0: is, a cool, this is a really cool kind of sleepy song. I will skip ahead, though, because it does go into a little bit of a, like a time change and gets a little bit more rock. And so I want to really focus on some of his organ playing. So here we go. So now he's he's playing a what's probably a Hammond, but he doesn't have that distorted part part of it yet. Which, if I recall, he's running it through like a Leslie and some distortion mm-hmm. when he's in Deep Purple. But I'll tell you, he's still rocking the rocking the regular Hammond pretty hard here. Oh yeah. So anyway, that gives you a, a little bit of a. A little bit of taste of John Lord's early organ work. And then um, as we come out of the Artwoods, we were talking, you and I, about our favorite Deep Purple moments, or favorite Deep Purple solos, I should say, with John Lord. And uh, so you picked a solo, and I picked a solo to, to really highlight John Lord's time with Deep Purple. And do you want to uh, introduce your solo and talk about it at all?
1: Oh yeah, I mean definitely. Um, um, Flight of the Rat, off in Rock, was that was the solo that blew me away when I first heard it. I, it was like so raw and wild and almost almost just like a crazy guitar solo. Like I couldn't believe how. like how much it rocked like uh, it's just you hear it and there's really (laughs) there's no way to put it into words it's just like so that's the one that got me to be like wow what this guy can do like on uh, on the keyboard is unbelievable um so to this day it's probably one of my my favorite because it's just like how we talk about when a guitar player lets loose or a singer lets loose like that was just a perfect combination of the whole band getting into that groove and him just like just riffing over it like a i don't know if it was off the cuff or if he practiced it or whatever but to me it just sounds like total abandon and still my favorite
0: all right let's take let's take a listen so we obviously everyone knows this part of the song um and we're gonna skip ahead to john's uh keyboard solo around the 240 mark let's let's listen to this Oh, yeah, that's great. And I love how Richie kind of takes over the way that it kind of fades in. It's
1: yeah, it's I mean, awesome. how could you not love that?
0: But yeah, that is that's an incredible one.
1: Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I didn't even know how he was making those. I'm like, how could you make those noises? Oh, yeah. The... It sounds, it sounds, it's like, there's that he... one
0: part where it sounds like a spaceship's like taking off and another part where it sounds like almost like Space Invaders. A lot of space it's speaks. just like
1: was he mashing his hands on the keyboard was he like doing like what was he like th- that part with the you were talking about where he's like you know the really staccato stuff or was he like taking his hands and like like <laughs> smacking the keyboard like bongos like who, who even who the hell even knows and it he's got a just, few of those
0: signature John Lord things where it's like maybe he hit a wrong note but he does it like three more times and it makes it it's and it sounds right yeah yeah that, that, a
1: little dissonance yeah Yeah, it's just it's awesome it's like yeah, a little little dissonance in there like incredible yeah he's
0: a classic example of he knows all of the rule the musical rules so well that he can break them all at any time at will and he knows how to make it somehow work you know, mm-hmm. if, if I could, I could pick up a piano and and play wrong notes all day as a solo over something, it would sound like absolute garbage. Um, <laughs> but he he actually has the knowledge to play the wrong thing, but knowing what he's doing, either if it's it's accidentally, can recover from it, and if it's on purpose, he can make you understand why he did it.
1: Yeah, like I mean, I like to think that that solo is an example of he he maybe there was like, um, I'm just guessing one take and he got so caught up in the moment or really rocking out on it that he, like you said, he maybe like flubbed a note or something. And he's like instantly knew, like I know how to save this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just part of his, that, that solo is just part of his genius. I mean, it, it certainly sounds improvised.
0: I'm not hating it. No, <laughs> not at all. Great. Well, great pick. Um, what is yours my pick and it kind of keeps with a theme is a is rat bat blue i knew it of course (laughs) both songs with the word rat in the in it um wow completely it's actually
1: one of my second picks
0: yeah yeah i mean it's it's hard not to Um, uh it always comes up whenever people are talking about their favorite john Lord, lord solo so i'm definitely not original for thinking of it but um it's one of my favorites and here here we go So obviously the song starts off with a classic riff. The solo comes in around the two minute mark. So I'm going to bring us right over to it. So here we go. Man, now that one is just an absolute onslaught. Like, it doesn't give you a second to even recover. It starts off with this really, I love how it starts off with the he hits all those little off note, uh, like up upbeat notes, and mm-hmm. then obviously goes into that insanity that's, I don't know, part synth, part harpsichord, and then goes into like more of a traditional Hammond, screeching Hammond sort of solo and then ends in this like kind of weird like upbeat sort of note and comes out of the solo back into the song. I love how there's all those different parts of it which sound like somewhat composed. Like obviously that super fast part's got to be composed. Oh yeah. But and then there's the lead up to it and then the part after that that is like he knows what he's doing in those parts but it's it's still improvised in the moment and wow every time i hear that i i my jaw hits the floor
1: yeah i feel like between the two the two solos flight of the rat was probably more improvised and this one was work it feels like it could have been those different parts it has more parts to it were worked out but then he probably improvised like throughout but maybe worked it out a little bit ahead of time because like you said there's no way that they couldn't have been because it definitely has like a beginning, a middle, and then an end mm-hmm. to it um which is why that's a really good choice i think like F- flight
0: of the rat is like a uh, going to like an improv night where you don't know what's going to be happening and F- uh, rat at blue is like an episode of like curb your enthusiasm where it's like, okay, in this scene, Larry's gonna get mad at this guy because of this reason, but they don't know so they kind of know what's gonna the outcome's gonna be, but he doesn't know how he's gonna get there. And that both both work really, really well. Either going in it completely blind, not knowing what you're doing, or having just a basic framework what you're gonna work within.
1: But either way, uh, I think we could agree that both of the those John Lord solos are pretty much him pulling everything out of his bag of tricks and being like, ah, there you go. What do you think of that baby? (laughs) Cause that, and those are, those are the really the solos that I like the best from people like that. And um, I don't want anybody to apply it to the, uh, to the way that there are like some, excuse me, really kind of show off guitar players that do the same thing. Like, um, I mean, I I can't think of any right now and I don't want to, crap on any of them. But it's just like if there are certain like like um eighties guitar players or like really flashy guitar players where it's just like, oh no, put that bag of tricks away. That's yeah. boring. But it's just like when a when a really uh, uh composed musician who knows what he's doing, uh pulls out his whole bag of tricks, it's just kind of like he also knows how to use them. He's not just trying to be flashy, but he's mm-hmm. just he probably thought like, oh, that old thing, that, that's not impressive. And the rest of us are just like <laughs> you know, like going crazy. So. All right. So next
0: up, we got a couple of uh, picks from Whitesnake and John, you have the, you're pulling the first pick from, from Whitesnake as one of your favorite
1: John Lord moments. Yeah. So after deep purple, we know that John Lord was in Whitesnake uh, probably probably, the second longest at that point, second longest band he'd been in, um, maybe. Yeah. Cause what from in- 78 to 84? Pretty much. Yeah. So he was only, he was in there maybe a f- couple of years less than Deep Purple, but yeah. he was on every album up until from Trouble up through, um, uh, Slided In. Yeah, it's true. So um, he was, yeah,
0: he was in Purple for eight years and then White yeah. Snake for six. Wow.
1: And, uh, and the way that he was produced on those albums, because I, I listened to through to a few of them just to get re-familiar, because I hadn't listened to the Snake albums for a while, but it kind of got me reacquainted with it, was he, he didn't have the same role, and I don't think he was produced the same, because he didn't have that same kind of abandon um, in his mm-hmm. playing, and he didn't really get as many solos. He kind of, um, I feel like he provided more. Uh, like, color and texture to the music. I mean, he definitely contributed to White Snake and their early sound, um, and it's definitely him, but, um, like, his stamp was on it, but not in the same way as Deep Purple. Um, so there weren't too many moments where it was, like, I guess, jaw-dropping moments like that. Um, yeah, but, and it wasn't really,
0: like, you know, Deep Purple was a lot about the interplay between Blackmore and Lord, and... yeah. Uh, at least in those days when they were both in deep purple, but yeah, White Snake was more of an ensemble,
1: yeah, which I mean is fine. I mean, that's the way that it that's the way that it worked. Um it wasn't as much of a showcase for Lord, but uh, when he was able to get out front, um, um most of the times it wasn't uh, the the solos were really kind of short, mm-hmm. and um the way they pro- they were were produced weren't as um I guess as raw. I guess you could say, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, they definitely lent again to the to the early White Snake style or whatever, and you, you know you could still tell it was John Lord in there, which is which is great that we still have him on all those albums. But one where I really enjoy his solo, which definitely like brings the song to the next level, is from um, the Ready and Willing album, uh, "She's a Woman," um, which has that um, kind of that same kind of thing, but it's more of in a um, a storm bringer type feel Mm -hmm. so and plus he starts out the song yeah
0: (laughs) alright so we're gonna skip ahead to um, a little bit before about the 150 mark here for the solo Mm
3: mhm
0: Awesome. And that's kind of sounding more composed, obviously. Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: That's um, that's an example of a more composed solo, uh, obviously, that he did. But I mean, I remember the first time I heard it, I'm just like they could have put a guitar solo over that. Um, anything but it's like who Who else was doing that like there's nobody else could have done that but John Lord and it was just such an unusual um, kind of choice for the song like it had that kind of like mm-hmm. almost like dissonant sound to it with that uh, sounded a lot like the um, uh, like the Stormbringer what he would use for the Stormbringer yeah album. it's like
0: a, it's got to be like probably like some a, some sort of moog or something it's got that yeah
1: But I mean, it was just like so, so well done. And so I like that one because it's really kind of different in a song like that, Um, because I mean, he had also done a lot of uh, kind of honky tonk piano stuff, a lot of uh, a lot of Hammond stuff, a lot of like intros and a lot of uh, stuff in the middle of the song, like I said, that provided a lot of texture to it. But every once in a blue moon, like he got a moment like that Um, and that I thought was really unique and always was my, like my favorite part of the song. Like I would listen to that song just to get to the solo because I'm like, it just, it rocks.
0: And it's cool. Cause it's got um, more of like an eighties type sound to it, obviously. Um, although it's gotta be, it's gotta be some sort of Moog. I'm sure somebody's out there's once again, yelling at us for not right. knowing, um, <laughs> but you can tell it's him. We're just fans folks. We, we don't uh We don't have all the information, but um Yeah. It, it it for some reason reminds me and maybe it's because it's so recently that we did that episode um this song from difficult to cure is it uh can't happen here no no not can't the one that's got the, the don airy solo that's almost almost silly sounding like the patch that he's using oh yeah i, uh, I can't <sighs> I'm, remember i'm drawing a blank as to which song it was but it's it's got like that sound to it where it's like Almost like a like a carnival type feel to it, uh, yeah. but but it's like a fun sound. It's not like that badass growling organ sound. It's more of like a of a happy go lucky sort of sort of patch that he's using. Right, like
1: like like John Lord could have used his his distorted ham in there. Like he could have played that same solo, but he went with he went with that effect and that sound, and it, it was just like I thought it was fantastic. Oh yeah. All right, I've got
0: a selection from White Snake, and it's not from a song. It is from a live performance. Um, mm. It's Coverdale introducing John Lord doing a little keyboard solo, and this is March 19th, 1983, in, I apologize, Jorg and everyone else, Lud- <laughs> Ludwig Schaffen? Ludwig Schaffen? That sounds... I I feel Sounds good like with place. that pronunciation. <laughs> Sounds like a place. <laughs> Our German fans may disagree. Um, so yeah, here here he is uh, in Ludwig Schaffen, uh, playing a awesome keyboard solo.
4: Okay, we're up to a place now where we're going to introduce to you, I reckon, a friend of yours or two friends of yours. Please welcome. Before I forget, my good friend John Lord.
0: Like he says before I forget. <laughs> <laughs> Look how awesome he looks. Oh, yeah. The shadowy figure. A darkened stage, still wearing sunglasses. I love how you'd always work in some like really nice sounding piano into his solos. And there's always those jackasses in the crowd that have to clap along. Like <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> like like leave John Lord alone. He doesn't need a metronome. Especially a, a poor metronome.
1: There
0: he goes. Is <laughs> the ashtray in the foreground? He's wearing those uh Adidas sneakers that uh oh no, the Nike sneakers that Marty McFly wore in Back to the Future. He's rocking the hell out of that thing. (laughs) Jesus. Ends like a a church hymn. <laughs> whoa <laughs> and that I think is the um, when he goes like and he points over like this with the guns. I think that's he's pointing over to Cozy for Cozy to do his uh, his drum solo. Yeah, I think when we did the Cozy episode, we saw the beginning part of him pointing like that, and then mm-hmm. goes into the whatever the eighteen twelve overture. But yeah, just a master. And you know, the the always, whenever I'm listening to him or Don Airy do one of those awesome solos like that, I'm always, I always feel ashamed because I know that there's probably like 25 different, like little musical references they're putting in there as like a little joke or a little, a a little like, oh, I'm going to put in like just a couple bars from this concerto or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I'm just not smart enough to get most of it. Except when Don Airy
1: is like, oh, he just did Mr. Crowley. I heard that. And I was then... going to say that. Yeah. That's the only <laughs> part that I caught without really paying attention, but anything else would be. Yeah. And then they, we, even they
0: occasionally will just like work in like, uh, you know, uh, like a little Gershwin or like some, you know, a Bach or, you know, you can, you
1: can catch these little pieces that you sort of
0: recognize, but you can't really point out.
1: Right. Um, that was phenomenal. Yeah. That was amazing. I'd never really seen a John Lord solo from uh, white snake.
0: Yeah, that Live. one kind of popped up for me. So, um and I'm not as familiar with his his time in White Snake. So, uh it's it's great to see that he was still doing awesome solos like that. Um so two more little things before we go into the next segment, but um I did want to highlight a couple of other things. One being his solo career. And by solo, I mean Him uh, doing music on his own and not his necessarily his classical stuff. So I've got this performance. This is actually much later. It's from 2004. It's him doing performing saraband with 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 a band, which I think is just has always been one of my all time favorite pieces of music that he ever put together, and it's one of the most simple pieces of music he's ever put together as well but just it always it gives me goosebumps whenever i hear it and this one is from uh behind the notes live at oh boy volkenhall Köln, or uh, as we as we in the states call it cologne another another german performance in our all german john lord episode this is from october 5th 2004 here we go This to me is like his nod to Brubeck. I hesitate to talk too much over this because it's so great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love how it builds and I love how John Lord just sits there and plays a relatively simple part on the piano and just lets this composition that he wrote speak for itself. Where we just saw him pull out every trick in the book with the Snake. <laughs> Here he's he's letting his uh He's letting his writing do the talking.
1: Well, yeah, really, this shows him more as a composer.
0: And even those little synths there, that's not even John Lord. It's somebody else playing that. I believe it's Matthias Krauss. And the guitar player is great. Paul, Sh- uh, Paul Shigahara. so much dynamic in the dynamics going on in the song it just has that like very very soft opening and just comes into a crescendo here We were talking earlier, too, about those Shredmeisters from the 80s that we grew up in and not, you know, not wanting to shit mm-hmm. on any of them, like you said, but yeah it just goes to show when you've like we talked about with Lord, when you've got such when you know all of the rules and then you can you reach a point where you can start breaking the rules and then you reach a point where you can just start saying, you know what, I don't need to. In every performance show, everything, give everything I've got. I don't need to play behind my exactly. back and with my teeth and every other thing. I can just do something like this that's so dynamically interesting and fun exactly. to listen to. Anyway, I think I'll I think I'll probably stop it there. It's about halfway through. Um,
3: and and
1: just, I, I think one of the things with him too is is that when you see him pulling out every trick in the book, when you see him being really impressive, you can tell he's It's coming from a place where he's passionate about it, Mm -hmm. uh, where it's coming from his gut, not trying to be show offy, which is why you can see him in a performance like this, being more laid back and just being like, I'm going to let all the other musicians shine in this composition that I wrote. But I I feel like something like that, when you're a, a good songwriter, arranger, whatever, um, that's as much of a, uh, you get as much satisfaction out of that of like sitting back and letting everybody else shine because you're getting that satisfaction from, yeah, I, I built this up and I wrote it. And you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be him doing all the stuff, mm-hmm. uh, doing all the playing and all the dynamics and everything like that. Like you could be just as satisfying for him to hear mm-hmm. and the, those other guys playing the, the guitar and the drums and the other guy doing the, the, the keyboard solo and not him. Um, and that's that's what I think makes somebody really great. Knowing when you said to kind of take that step back.
0: And it, to to me, that is just him. And I don't know if if it was intentional. It, it might may, might have been. It might have. But to me, it just sounds like him channeling Dave Brubeck and wanting to kind of go. That to me just sounds like something that Brubeck would have done. And in the way that mm-hmm. it's so simple yet so perfect, the way that it's it's orchestrated. Um. And then we've got one last one as we go. That's kind of his band sort of thing. We, you know, we he also did that thing with the Hoochie Coochie Man, which I actually ended up listening to with my father in law last night, um, mm-hmm. which is really good. Um, you know, it's it's great blues stuff with a lot of him and his buddies, and it's awesome. But there's also his classical stuff, and here is from his 1998 album, um, "Pictured Within." This is the Mountain Sunset. This shows off talking about his composition, more of his classical sort of arrangement. We'll just listen to a little bit of this. me, this is just a very emotional song, although in the classical world, I don't know if you've called, even called them songs. I remember our friend Paul's father is a big classical music guy yelling at me about that. They're not songs. <laughs> <laughs> a song is a very specific kind of, I was like, I don't, I don't, I'm not smart enough to understand that.
1: Wasn't really yeah sounds at, like it could me, be it could be like in a movie soundtrack or something
0: yeah so I want I want to say the same thing but I was like does that sound too uh I don't know too simple like just I mean I I guess I'm not I've never understood classical well enough to I, there's a lot of classical music that I really really love but I just don't know that I understand it well enough to To me, the highest praise I could give is it sounds like it should be on a movie soundtrack, but I don't know if that's the highest praise a classical composer could get. (laughs) They might be annoyed.
1: Probably. (laughs) Because they're just like, yeah, it's dummies like you that say that and uh, you don't even know what you're talking about. But. I mean, We we all know John Lord from starting from concerto, having that classical background and everything that he did in early Deep Purple Mark One was very classical sounding. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, I always respected him for that because that's one of those like, to me, like a top tier of music. Like you have to be a really good schooled, knowledgeable musician to play that well. And, and, and to write it, it. out
0: I remember writing out yeah. some, some arrangements before for things and uh, there was a, a music teacher I had in college who helped me with some of it once and I was just like oh it's just as simple as whatever and he was you know telling me because different you know different instruments use different clefts and different you know, mm-hmm. the way you, I don't even understand how to explain it. Cause I don't understand it at all, but, but trying to write for all, you know, for woodwinds and brass and strings and all this, you know, I don't know how to, you know, there's treble clef and bass clef and viola clef. And, and I don't, I understand treble and bass, but beyond that, it gets a little confusing, but, um, it's really, uh, really interesting stuff. And, uh, his classical stuff I have listened to a little of, and I really need to dive a little bit more into because it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, that was from 1998, so he would have been in Deep Purple for four more years before he left to really spend the last his final ten years uh, doing a lot of classical stuff, and of course the Hoochie Coochie Men, like we talked about. Um, so then we get into his, uh, you know, a little, on a sadder note, his final public performance. July 8th, 2011. Um, it was at the Sunflower Jam. Um, and he and Rick Wakeman had gotten together and written a song to perform special for that. And we, we had actually showed this on a previous episode. We showed parts of this. So they start off telling a, a lewd joke about their penises and then they, uh, they go right into the music. So I'm glad that they still had, you know, these old friends telling a dirty joke and then, or, or, uh, I should say, uh, a suggestive joke. <laughs> um, and he, here we go. Live it. I'm going to cut right to the music here. Thank you very much. You- is everyone laughing at their joke? So, this is just Rick Wakeman and John Lord showing off. <laughs> it's not as big as it was, is the name, so you can figure out what the uh, joke was uh would have been 70 years old Jeez. performing this. Wigman has taken over, but I'll put a link to this in the show notes. It's says uh, you know, or we can skip to the very end here because I think it'd probably be good to see his full, the full end of his final performance here. I like all the rock guys just there like they just <laughs> went to central casting and got some rock guys.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there you go. That was his final his final performance.
1: Now, did he know that was going to be his final? Like was that his last appearance he planned on making or do we know that? I
0: don't think anyone knew cuz uh, I know he um so basically he had at this point probably knew that he had Um, pancreatic cancer and um, Mm -hmm. but he ended up dying suddenly uh, from something else Uh, I think it was like a I think he had a pulmonary embolism or something that um, so it it kind of even though people knew he was maybe not doing so well it it did kind of come as a surprise to everyone so it would have been pretty much a year and a week later that he would have passed away Mm -hmm. so um, very very sad stuff for sure
1: and, you know, you close your eyes and you hear him playing and it doesn't sound any different than 10, 20, 30 years earlier.
0: No, no. just He still, still had it. still had it, for sure. Okay. So, you know, after that, obviously, sadly, uh, John Lord passed away. There was a statement on his website about his passing on johnlord.org. Um, and it said... Uh, It is with deep sadness we announce the passing of John Lord, who suffered a fatal pulmonary embolism today, Monday, 16th of July, at the London Clinic, after a long battle with pancreatic cancer. John was surrounded by his loving family. John Lord, the legendary keyboard player with Deep Purple, co-wrote many of the band's legendary songs, including Smoke on the Water, and played with many bands and musicians throughout his career. Best known for his orchestral work... Concerto for Group and Orchestra first performed at the Royal Albert Hall with Deep Purple and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra in 1969 and conducted by renowned by the renowned Malcolm Arnold. A feat repeated in 1999 when it was again performed at the Royal Albert Hall by the London Symphony Orchestra in Deep Purple. John's solo work was universally acclaimed when he eventually retired from Deep Purple in 2002. John passes from darkness to light. John Lord 9th of June, 1941 to 16th of July, 2012. So I remember that day very well because I remember we, we talked on that day and, um, my, my twin sons had came home from the hospital. It must've been the next day. Um, and I remember sitting at the computer, they were, you know, less than five pounds each. So just holding both of them and playing them. They're probably the first music they ever heard was, was John Lord just going through my, uh, my playlist and just pulling some random things and listening to it. Not like I was mm. like trying to educate them or anything at nine <laughs> days old or however old they were. Um They were in the NICU for about a, about a week and a half. So they had just come home and I had, I had heard this news like a day or two before. And like I said, we talked and then, Played them. This, I played some some of the concerto and some of the other stuff, and I always remember that hearing about it. And it was kind of like the Dio thing, where you knew he was sick, you had heard about it, and then he, you know it, it goes under the radar. You don't hear anything for a little bit. You almost forget about it, and then you get hit like mm-hmm. a ton of bricks when you hear it. You you think, oh, he's doing better, and oh, I heard I heard he's doing well, and and then it and then you you get this terrible news, and it's always sad to hear.
1: Yeah. Um, the yeah, official. I'm sorry. I don't remember. I don't remember uh, talking to you,
0: to be honest. I remember because I had actually we 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 spoke uh, about it, and y- and we started talking, and then you had mentioned the 99 concerto, which I don't th- I, for some reason I think I might have just missed. Or, yeah. or or wasn't or hadn't or just just somehow it, it gotten by me so then i immediately got that and listened to it and was just and remember i remember listening to that and hearing that they were doing the butterfly ball songs and thinking oh my god this is incredible um oh, wow so so yeah i always i always have that memory and it's probably more ingrained in me because i because it happens right when my my sons were born and i i just i have such oh, a strong memory of that mm-hmm and as we've mentioned before, your memory is uh a little <laughs> a little more faulty.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I mean I do remember being affected by it. Like I knew, like you said, that he was he was sick mm-hmm. and um like not really having a an avenue, uh as I guess like a really sudden uh like uh flow of info like we do now. Um, even though in like 2012, there was Facebook and internet and everything, but maybe not as, as much as it is now. Um, but then all of a sudden just hearing about it and just being like, whoa, just like any other kind of big musician, um, somebody that's had an influence on me had, had passed away. Um, I just remember, um, it being like a really, you know, a really big deal. And I may, I must've, yeah, I must. I mean, I knew that I had talked to you. any big deep purple thing happen. I would talk to you, mm-hmm. um, even if we hadn't spoken for a while. <laughs> That's about hadn't. the only
0: time we talked.
1: <laughs> every every six months or a year, I'd be like, "Hey, did you hear what we see about this?" Yeah, until until a little over a year ago. Now it's like every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now it's too much. Um, uh, so the uh,
0: the band had an official statement. Uh, our beloved John passed away this day, Monday, the 16th of July, 2012. We have lost a dear friend, a brother, and a wonderful musician. His dignity and graciousness touched us all. His music was an inspiration and took us places beyond our imagination. A truly great man. We humbly express our eternal love and great respect. Deep purple, uncommon man. So it's interesting that they put that uncommon man at the at the end. Hmm. Um, Roger Glover had this to say on his website, which he, he used to update a lot more frequently. And I, I've, I've just, I've been following this website forever and I love when he writes, I love his, the way that he writes mm-hmm. and he, he'll occasionally just write these things on his website. He's been doing it a little bit more now, more recently because probably cause you know, he's stuck at home and just kind of going through some of his old music stuff or whatever. But yeah. Um, He said, Roger Glover says, it's unthinkable that John is gone. My thoughts are for his wife, Vicky, and all his children and family at this sad moment in their lives. I wish them all strength. A great sadness and sense of loss hangs over me. Not only has the music world lost a fantastic musician, but a gentleman of the finest order. He was a giant in my life, a great friend, a fellow traveler, a teacher, not only of music, but of life. I am devastated at his passing. Roger Glover, July 17th, 2012. Um, the day I, I believe it was the day that he passed away or it might've been the, the, the following day, uh, Gillen was on, um, God, I forget. I'm sorry. Uh, I forget the exact thing that he, that he was on. Let me see if I can pull it up right here. Uh, planet rock. I'm sorry. Um, and he, he gave kind of like an off the cuff interview only a couple of minutes and he said, um, Uh, We've we've lost a brother, really, a dear friend and someone we all looked up to. John was our hero. Uh, He tells a story of about a a fan that went up to John Lord at the airport and he had. uh, The fan saw John Lord at the airport and got all flustered and didn't know what to say. So he said, John, I'm your hero. You know, meaning to say, John, you're my hero. And so (laughs) John said, oh, you're King Arthur. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a great story.
3: Ah, oh, that's
0: great. Uh, Gillen called him the godfather of deep purple. And he says, he says, I don't think we'll ever be separated from John because he's touched us all and we shall carry his memory forward and his music, of course. Um, then we've got. um. From David Coverdale, we've got a great uh, eulogy that he wrote, so I'm going to put that up here.
4: Good evening. I'm David Coverdale. I will share with you, as I shared with my immediate family, a few personal memories of my initial introduction to John Lord that involved his incredible warmth, patience, and generosity that immediately came to my mind and for which I will be eternally grateful. My first encounter with John was as an opening act for the early Mark II at Sheffield University. John came up to me after our show and was very complimentary about my singing and discreetly asked for my phone number, whispering, in case it doesn't work out with a new guy. <laughs> of course, in those days, I was living at home with my parents, and we never had a phone, so I hastily gave him <coughs> my address, shook hands and went out to watch some of their show before we drove back to Teesside. I remember it vividly. Of course, it worked out beautifully and successfully with the new guy, as we all know, but it didn't stop me rushing down to the front door every morning for months to see if he'd written to me. As you can imagine, it was an indescribable boost for my morale at that time in my life. A sweet, sweet man, he knew how to elevate your spirit. He had poetry and rhetoric in abundance and a great, great guy to have a long, expensive dinner with. Unless it was back in the day when we didn't really eat that much after overindulging in Peruvian naughtiness. we had a most of disappointed and confused chefs in our wake. But some of you know all about that. The second time was at my actual audition for Deep Purple in London in 1973. I was pretty nervous, of course, but determined. I discreetly brought a bottle of Bell's whiskey that my friend Roger Barker, who'd driven me to London, had hidden from me, and which of course I immediately found and gave me cause to go for frequent little shots. But no one was more engaging, welcoming, and calming to me than John Lord. He spoke to me so very kindly and encouraged me to the point where I must credit him for helping me relax and give a solid account of myself at the audition. God bless his cotton socks. And the last example of John's amazing character was at Clearwell Castle in Gloucestershire where we had gone to work on songs for what became the Burn album. John was going to be late as he had business in London, so Richie, Glenn and Ian Pace started jamming immediately in the castle crypt. Amazing music, amazing musicians. I wandered in and out, sipping on cognac or scotch and coke, not knowing what the hell to do as this was all so new and unknown to me. I found out later that John had called Ritchie to see how things were going and how I was fitting in. Ritchie said everything was fine, but I hadn't sang anything. <laughs> I hadn't sang anything yet. So when John eventually arrived, he and I had several sniffed of some fine alcoholic beverage and walked down to the rehearsal room. And with him at his Hammond and me at the microphone, I sang non-stop for God knows how long, Beatles songs, jazz songs, blues riffs. Slowly but surely, the guys all came in and started playing along, and suddenly I was a member of the best band in the world. I had the incredible honor of being in two extraordinary bands with John, Purple, of course, and Whitesnake, but that's a whole other story. I have no doubt that with the healing passage of time that something wonderful will take place somewhere where his former colleagues and I can come together and all celebrate his extraordinary life and his many musical gifts and share it with John's multitude of fans. So in closing, I thank you, John, with all my heart. I will never forget you and what you brought to me in countless others' lives. The many precious memories I will treasure forevermore Bon vivant, raconteur, premier musician, and gentleman extraordinaire, John Douglas Lord, I salute you.
0: So pretty. Touching, touching Mm. little eulogy from Mr. Coverdale. Delivering it, of course. He's got away with words, yeah. Yeah. Great, uh, great thing. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's on, uh... I think it's on the White Snake page. Um, I thought it was worth um, playing a, f- a few mm. minutes of this as well, which is. Um, I, I, I checked with Jorg, so you can know that this is 100% accurate. But this is the last time that John Lord would have performed with David Coverdale. And it was. Mm. Um, it was. Uh, <laughs> it's always it's always in germany <laughs> oh my goodness they never give me a break it's always in germany uh this would be okay um mendexborgen <laughs> let me know how i did where is it why can i not find it mendes it's got to be mendexborgen um um, or maybe I could just put a link in the show notes since I'm having trouble finding it. Um, let's see here. Oh, here we go. Uh, so this is Whitesnake Live, Mandisborgen. This is 1984 and this would have been just a couple of weeks before he finally um, before he re- reunited with Deep Purple. Mm-hmm. So um I think at this point Coverdale probably knew this this was the end at least with John lord being in the band um but anyway, here they are men Mand- Mendes nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> This is a TV show.
5: Good evening, Las Vegas.
0: It's John Lord in his like mobster tracksuit. tracksuit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm John Lord. How you doing? <laughs> ah, Gambler, what a great song.
0: And this whole performance, this whole set list was only about a little over 16 minutes. So you can check it out on YouTube.
1: Man, they were good live, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> and look at all those legends up there John Lord, Cozy Powell. Right, that's um, Adrian Vandenberg. Is it Vandenberg? I think. I sure was only Mickey Moody. <laughs> 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 it's kind of dark. It's hard to I think it was cuz this was the uh, Slide It In album and this is um this is uh this must have been when he retooled the band. The I saw
0: all right, we got that clip of uh, that little shot of John Lord to end it off, but thought it was interesting to see the last time that Coverdale would have played with
1: Lord. It's amazing that it was that long ago. Yeah, it wasn't even like it was in the 2000s. Nope, not even the 90s. Jeez. So then we move on to another, another
0: Mark III slash four friend, Glenn Hughes. I guess Glenn Hughes was in flight when John Lord passed away and he landed in L.A. from London. It's a long flight. And he said he posted, um, friends, I have just landed in L.A. from London to hear the sad news of the passing of our brother, John Lord. I will miss him. Prayers, please. I will sing and play a tribute track for John Lord with friends Chad Smith and Steve Vai in the studio tomorrow. And as far as I can tell that that's when they got together and recorded um, uh, Highway Star for the Remachined mm-hmm. album, which mm-hmm. would have come out uh, in September of that year. So it's the best I can tell. He doesn't mention what it is. but You can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm often wrong. Um, and then so uh, something I I have alluded to many times in the past is uh, is Glenn uh, celebrating him at the John Lord concert, which unfortunately Coverdale was not at. But uh, before that, we we just played the last time that Coverdale performed with. Uh, I'm sorry that Lord performed with Coverdale. So now I'm going to play for you the last time that Hughes performed with Coverdale, which is much more recent, and this is from 2009 performing you keep on uh you keep on moving live oh and uh i wasn't sure i i i'd seen this clip quite a few times and i had i tweeted at glenn and said hey is just curious is would this have been the last time that you ever performed with john lord and he confirmed that it was um so very very sad to hear that but here here is uh glenn hughes and john lord performing for the last time together Look at him, that little smile he gives to John Lord. You can tell he's loving it.
1: Not a big fan of, like, faux hawk Glenn Hughes. <laughs> Not his best luck. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> you know what?
0: If I could sing like that, I would do any hairstyle you'd want to give me. I'm talking to you, London Town. So there you go. Guess we know where they are. Now I'm gonna skip ahead a little to uh, Lord when they cu- when they kick in. Hughes is killing it on the bass on this song. Oh, yeah.
1: And hey, look at even even later in life, look at how friggin cool he is. The I, elder statesman of rock. I know he's got the,
0: the gray hair and the ponytail, the sunglasses, the black suit. That was just his trademark at this period. Oh, yeah. I'll jump ahead a little bit here. So obviously a little bit more recent than the Coverdale performance. Look at the big smile on Glenn Hughes' face. (laughs) <laughs> it's so awesome he just puts his like the like the finger gun up and he's like boom and he just calls it <laughs> he's like yeah i'm just playing this one song from you with you guys but i'm john lord and i'm in charge just so you guys know <laughs> if you think you're calling the shots as when the song ends you're wrong nope nope um and then of course um like I said, I've I've mentioned this a million times, but Glenn Hughes at the John Lord celebration, which is something we have to cover entirely in a different episode. He plays what we all know is my favorite Deep Purple song this time around, and mm-hmm. does it live to honor John Lord. And I've I've, t- I've spoken about it before, and I do I do need to preface it because Glenn starts off with the most insane vocal. Uh, Acrobatics you've ever heard, and when I first heard it, I just remember my my take being like, "What is he doing? It's it's crazy. It's too much." But when you see when you watch the entire performance until the end, you see that he's just kind of, it's like when we saw him honor Ronnie Dio with the Catch the Rainbow, and you're just mm-hmm. like, "Oh my God!" He just brings the house down. It's the same sort of situation here where he's just he's like. I know a lot of people say a lot of crap about Glenn Hughes and his his vocals and things um but I really feel like it just comes from a place of just pure love he's just like he's just putting his heart out there to everybody about mm. how much he misses his friend and uh mentor and all that sort of stuff so um prefacing it with that uh let me uh let me kick into uh celebrating John Lord um with uh, this time around with Glenn Hughes How far he is from the mic you have that kind of power
1: <laughs> look at how many people are there
0: looks like you hear a pin drop in that audience. I honestly just get chills when I
1: see that every time. My God, that's like one of the best performances that I've ever seen. Think of that, right? 36 years after they recorded that and he still sung it like nobody's business. He sounds
0: better. <laughs> he, I mean, he not that he sounded, I mean, you know how I feel about Glenn Hughes. Uh, his voice has only gotten better. It's, it's just uncanny because we we're always talking about, oh, the singer, they need to download down tune a little bit and he can't hit the notes on this song. Nobody says that with Glenn Hughes. He's nope. every bit as good, if not better now at almost 70
1: <laughs> as he was at 25. And I mean, what a what a great tribute to to John Lord with the the, the song that they uh, kind of a great composition they did together mm-hmm. when they were. In the band, I was, I was thinking that would be funny if like he walked back out with the bass and they just went into like Ode to G. I know it'd be awesome. (laughs) It was just this this tender moment. They're like, (laughs) they start rocking out and everybody's like, all right, too much, (laughs) too much, much. yeah. But yeah, it's But, it's, uh, but yeah, that
0: was fantastic. It's such a good performance and it's funny. I was just thinking when I was just making that joke, but you know people oh Gillen can't sing this like he used to he can't sing Child in Time anymore and people are like oh Coverdale can't sing this and that and then people are like oh Glenn Hughes sings too many high notes and nobody's ever happy it's like Mm. they're either upset that they can't hit the notes that they used to be before or they're upset at Glenn Hughes because he hits too many high notes oh people just need to enjoy (laughs) and accept and enjoy all this great music and not be so negative about it
1: Oh yeah. I mean, uh, sure. Is, is, uh, is Glenn a little extra? Oh,
0: absolutely. But that's, but, you know what you're signing up for and, and don't get me wrong. I can, t- if it's not your thing, I totally get it. I, I'm mm-hmm. not offended. I've always loved him. I think he has an unbelievable voice. He's one of my musical heroes, but um, I get it. If it's not for you, I I, I totally do. But you know, but, when you sign up for Glenn Hughes, you're not signing up for somebody to come in and, understatedly sing something. And, <laughs> but once again, when it comes yeah. down to it, when it came to that Dio tribute, when it comes to this John Lord tribute, the guy delivers, he comes in and he brings the house down every time, just comes in, sings one song, leaves and everyone's jaws are on the floor.
1: Well, you know what it is? I think you were kind of saying it before was, is like that that's his, that's his emotion for his, yeah. his uh, recently, past friend that's that's the way that he expresses his emotion is is through his his vocals so like all of like you know you think like oh wow that's craziness and everything like that's him like basically like pouring his heart out through his vocals like you hear his like that's his emotion you're like physically hearing it whereas like some people you can see it on their face or through what they don't say or you know anything like that and i think that that's um you know a great um a great gift that he has and you know it's it's just wonderful to to hear and i think on this song it's like um he actually was um i don't know just this perfect kind of balance between like not going too far and just like just singing a great song and then the end of it just you could feel like you know i i when he said i do say i miss you oh, i love, love you, you at, at the end, the end? When he says
0: i love you the first time i ever saw that i was like oh, i like it killed me. I was like, Oh my God. Huh. Cause it's just, you know, it's such a simple thing and it could be cheesy in so many ways, but he's just like, he's putting it out there exactly how he feels. Like he, it's like his, his friend, his brother, his bandmate has passed away and he's like, it's, it's unbelievable.
1: And you know what? Good for him and good for, for Coverdale, uh, with the the tribute that he read and everybody else that, because some people don't have the guts to, to sing or to speak or, or say that kind of emotion, they, they keep it all bottled up or they're mm-hmm. just like, oh, I'm a, I'm a tough guy. I'm not going to say these things. So it's just like, that, that's great to see people able to open up like that and, and, you know, show their, their emotions and their love for other people. I think that's really cool. And that's what art is all about. That's what music is all about. And that's why we love this, you know, band and everybody associated with so much, I think. So Richie Blackmore
0: um, had this to say. Um, It came out on his official channel. Former Deep Purple guitar legend Richie Blackmore has issued the following statement. John was not only a great musician, he was my favorite dinner companion. We are all deeply saddened. We knew he was sick, but the word was that he was recovering and doing much better. This news came as a complete shock. Without John, there would be no Deep Purple. He lives on in our hearts and our memories. And then Richie Blackmore wrote a song which he performs I believe at every show called Carry On John and it's an instrumental and I think it's perfect that he did it and I it's always been one of he it's on a Blackmore Night a Blackmore's Night album and he plays it at all the Blackmore's Night shows and it's an absolutely beautiful mel- melody and great instrumental and I've always really really loved it and it's great because it's just Richie Blackmore. He's not going to, you know, write lyrics or have anyone else write lyrics. He's going to say it through his guitar and through through his uh, the style that he plays. There's a few different versions I've heard. On the album he does it with a an electric and something about the, the tone he has and stuff. I don't think it it speaks to it the same way it does when he plays it live. When he plays it live, he plays a slideshow of John behind him and some photos. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of acoustic versions I found live that are really, really good, but I'm going to play this one, which is the most recent one I think I can find. It's from June 12th of 2019.
1: Oh, wow.
0: And it's very recent. So like, like, like I said, he's, he always plays it and this is him playing it once again in Germany in Munich. I know how to pronounce that, um, in Munich playing it. And this time he plays it with an electric and then they go into burn after, after uh, he plays it. So this is, uh, this is Richie Blackmore with Blackmore's Knight um, playing the, this time. Electric uh, carry on John. I love that picture, (laughs) (laughs) the look that Richie's giving John. (laughs) was always really just touching that Richie is not the guy who is going to show up at the Royal Robert Hall and join the festivities of, or the, of the mm-hmm. join the, the group and yeah. the fact that he would do anything like this at all and the fact that he does it constantly really speaks to the, the friendship and the music relationship that the two of them had that he would
1: you see, and then like what we were what we were talking what I was saying before with Glenn Hughes' performance and, and what Coverdale said about him, those guys were like wearing their heart in their sleeve where Richie, you wouldn't picture him being that that open and openly emotional about it, but through this song, uh, you know, you see that side of him that you rarely hear about. And it's like and like this whole And you could just see tribute. it like
0: Richie will just He puts up the slideshow of pictures of him and Richie and he plays this beautiful melody, which I think is a beautiful song and doesn't and doesn't say a word more about it. Just like this is it. This is my tribute to my good friend that I loved. And I'm not really going to get much more (laughs) into it than that because I'm Richie. Yeah. He
1: says it in his own uh, quiet way.
0: But yeah, you can you can look up Carry On John. There's like a million different versions on uh on YouTube. That I think that one might be one of my favorites.
1: Um, yeah, that was really nice.
0: So, Steve Morse uh had some written uh written statement to say and then he also uh, posted a a video. This is Steve Morse's words on John Lord.
6: First day of- was 24 hours before our first show. We had a rehearsal inside the venue in the dressing room. And I remember plugging up and just kind of playing a riff. And all of a sudden, I heard it come back through the organ. John, his ears were so perfect, he could hear it and played it back. And then when we all started jamming, everybody joined in. Uh, I played something else. He heard it. And then he changed it and made a harmony to it. And this went on for about 15 minutes of just jamming and smiling. Everybody was was uh, enjoying the fact that, that we had this chemistry. And in the studio, our first album, Perpendicular, part of the magic of that was having John there saying things like, well, this, this is unusual, this part here. But I don't think we should uh, throw this idea out because, because it doesn't sound like a rock thing. What if we change it this way and incorporate it into the song? Or let's let's do this simple thing, but with more of a modulation. He was always uh, combining the the classical and the rock together in in his mind. When he wrote the concerto, and we performed that in Albert Hall, it was the biggest, uh, production I've ever seen. There was 80-something musicians of London Symphony Orchestra. Here we are in Albert Hall, and to hear John's work and be part of it was absolutely incredible. And I was very honored to be asked to play on his, the third movement of his uh, uh, recording right before he died. So, um, on top of that, John was such a warm, Friendly person and such a gentleman to everybody. Everyone who says anything about John will remember that he's the English gentleman. Uh, I remember one of the few times I was able to take my young son on the road. John spent some time talking to him in a Donald Duck voice, you know, and 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 amusing him. And it was so amazing to be uh, just just to see the patience he had and just the big heart. He just. that's why people get so upset about John being gone. He's, he was larger than life. You know, just, he could do so many things so well. We would miss him.
0: And when we, when we yes. spoke to Ray Fenwick and when we spoke to Don Airy, they both said that to the gentleman everybody that you talked to about him says he was a gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely no mistake. You don't, again, anybody else that you can think of, of any of these people, you know, even when we did our Dio special, there were plenty of people that said some nasty things about Dio, or Dio had some, you know, had a, might have had a mean streak or whatever, but you don't hear that anybody say a single bad word about John Lord ever. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Don Airy um, and Ray Fenwick, Don, Don when we did our interview, he he told that great story right about his the last performance that that uh, John Lord had with Deep Purple. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a video of it of what Don Airy explained happened So here's Don Airy's starting a keyboard solo. <laughs> I recognize that one. <laughs> so he I'm going to skip ahead as as great as his solo is but uh to show the part where Don's solo is going to end and then the lights come down and then when the lights come on John Lord is there to replace him and Don explained this in our interview about how amazing it was and uh, how the fans went crazy now you can kind of see for yourself how that happened
1: that one guy that really loved it. Now the lights go down. Wow. Wow.
0: not going to play the whole song but can you just imagine being there and not knowing that john lord was just going to rise up out of the floor and start playing
1: wow pretty incredible stuff (laughs) yeah that's amazing yeah even even like when don told the story just seeing what he described, I was like, I was ready for it, but I wasn't ready for <laughs> yeah, exactly. it. Like when the lights came on, I was like, "Oh my god, it's John Lord!" Yeah, no matter, how, <laughs> yeah, no
0: matter how many times you see that, you're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe it!"
1: <laughs> well, because uh, you know what, I put myself in in the shoes of everybody being there. Like, how cool is that? Like you you get you get to see Don Airy mm-hmm. perform with Deep Purple, and then just unexpectedly. John freaking Lord shows up and is playing <laughs> one of their biggest hits from their comeback album and you're like, "Oh my god, it, it's basically the original band back together again."
0: So one more oh, uh, what a cool qu- thing. quick quick thing a cool I wanted thing. to show um this, this uh don mentioned in our interview too was was this um Wind in the Willows Eddie Harden project. Mm-hmm. That he worked on with John Lord. So here's a little um this is it's a strange Thing. So you start off there's this kind of guy sitting in a chair reading a, <coughs> a story and then you go into these great instrumentals. You've got Peter York there, Ray Fenwick, Eddie Hardin. and then of course Don Airy and and John Lord working together and this is 1985, I think. So it was a while ago. And I'm gonna skip ahead to um, the point where basically Don Airy is wrapping up a little solo he has and that goes right into Don Lord. Uh so here we go. Full Miami Vice Don John Lord though. <laughs> I was just gonna say <laughs> that's <laughs> Miami
1: Vice John Lord. Oh my god.
0: I love the John Lord they just stuck him like behind a fern somewhere <laughs> there's a big fern
1: <laughs> which which is another 80s thing too just there was, seemed like there were ferns all over the it's place like, this is like live from the golden girls living room
0: <laughs> John Lord sitting in a big wicker chair
1: <laughs> out on <in> the lanai <laughs> the lanai <laughs> uh. another great he's obviously dressed up for his date with Blanche later (laughs) but this is an amazing uh, amazing concert to watch
0: all these musicians just incredible Graham Bonnet sings a bunch of the songs and it's 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 a lot of fun to watch a great album and a great one-off concert but it's interesting that he and Don would have performed this together and then really yeah. never crossed paths again until many many years later when they kind of had that little crossover with Deep Purple. And it's great you could just feel the real friendship between like Lord and York and um Eddie Harden and just they would just anything or Tony Ashton Oh Tony Ashton's on this too I believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's on it as well. And to just Tony Ashton comes out in t- typical Tony Ashton format steals the show it's like anything one of those guys was doing they just call up the hey John Lord I'm going to be playing the Royal Albert Hall next week could you come and play like could you learn 17 new songs and come play with me and Don Airy oh sure sure what time (laughs) (laughs) I was going to be in California but I'm sure I could fly back for that no problem
1: You know, the thing that strikes me about this, too, is like John Lord is is timeless. Like, sure, we we made we made fun of his Miami's vice outfit, but it's like if you if you close your eyes or you listen to just the audio of this, it could have easily been in 1969.
0: Yep. Incredible stuff. But that's. uh, Yeah that's Don Airy and john lord Don Airy has most of the solos in this thing um but um john lord does get get a chance to kind of duel with them a little bit it's great mm-hmm. definitely worth checking out i'll of course have the links to all the stuff in the show notes and then kind of uh wrapping it up uh we've got Bernie Marsden bringing up uh i'll put I'll put this in the show notes but he t- he gives a long story about how he he met john lord mm-hmm. And um, he says, uh, talks about their kind of one of their first meetings and sends his love to John and his family. And uh, I wanted to play uh, what maybe one of the later times that I don't know for sure, but it might be the last time that Bernie Marsden ever performed with John Lord. And they do Here I Go Again. And it's a really interesting kind of live version that the two of them do. My favorite part about this, I'll start it up.
5: We're going to do a song that uh, uh, has been very good to me. And uh, we played it the other day, just the two of us at John's house. And uh, that's how we're going to do it tonight. So I hope you like it. Uh, I think you'll know it when we do it. Uh, John's going to introduce it for you.
0: So Bernie's like walking off to go find his guitar and put his guitar on and tune it. And John Lord's just playing on the keys, and he looks over his shoulder every so often to be like, is he ready yet? Is he ready yet? (laughs) He's just basically stalling until Bernie's ready to play, and it's great. I could just listen to him play all day.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sure that that audience was pissed. It's, oh, we gotta listen to John Lord (laughs) improvise for a while? Oh, damn it. For a minute and a half? Boo! Uh, Ugh. Yeah, I would have been furious (laughs) not... Did you just say not? Not <laughs> uh, well, I guess the, the Miami Vice thing just transported me yeah, back.
0: Yeah, you're back in.
1: <laughs> so,
0: so he keeps looking over <laughs> Bernie. Is he ready yet? <laughs> Bernie's tuning up. There you're we don't have that damn thing no, listen
2: yet, guys.
1: because John Lord played the original intro to this the original White Snake version the
0: crowd starts Look at this. Singing. what is this like a bar <laughs> the crowd's just going even though he's not trying to start up yet <laughs>
5: I don't know where I'm going but I sure know where I've been
1: well, he sings this really well
5: And songs of yesterday And I made up my mind I am wasting no more time And though I keep searching for an answer I never seem to find what I'm looking for strength to carry on cuz i know how it feels to walk along the lonely street of dreams Come on here i go again
0: here it is is it going to be hobo or drifter Drifter, I was born ah, there you
1: go. <laughs> <laughs> what a relief. Oh, 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 if he said hobo, it would have stuck out like a sore thumb. <laughs> well, you figure, but he's the original guy, right? Yeah. Here I go but he's like, he probably I didn't write the lyrics. He's though. like, I know
0: where those checks are coming from.
1: It's from Drifter, not Hobo. <laughs> Here <I go> again. <laughs> this is a really great version of this. I was just talking about how Lord is timeless, and he's like playing on a Casio keyboard over here or something. <laughs> Not that it sounds bad; it sounds great.
0: Yeah, it's like that. It's like that electric piano sort of patch, but it sounds great.
1: Well, I mean, it's John Lord playing it. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, you could play on a broken piano; it'd sound great. This is very true.
5: Of
0: I love how he sings it different than Coverdale, but it's Here got such a go great to character to it. You see John Lord singing oh. along there.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, he must know his vocal limitations, too, and he, like, adjusts the song perfectly.
5: Yep.
0: He's almost got more of, like, a a country sound to his voice.
5: Hmm. Yeah, I hear
1: it now.
0: So, and it's also like he's singing his harmony part that Coverdale would have been singing the lead over, you know?
5: I know how it feels To walk along the lonely street of dreams And here I go again Wasting my hope i go again what can i do here i go again here i go again here i go
3: again
1: Fantastic! Look at how small that place is. Yeah, it's a tiny little venue. My God, could you imagine seeing those two guys in
0: there? Jeez, yeah, and you get amazing. This, you get this kind of weird treat. You're like you're not expecting it. Like there, yeah. <laughs> like you ever see the carpool carpool karaoke with uh, Paul McCartney? Hmm. Just I've like it, yeah. he goes like. Uh, He's driving around with uh, James Carden is it and they they go to like this small little bar and they have like a a jukebox and they like Mm -hmm. press something on the jukebox and the wall opens up and Paul McCartney's there and just plays the song that they just requested (laughs) like, whoa, I didn't know I was signing up for that. And I don't know how staged that was, but. It mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of that. like you, or, or just like, you know, you go to see Deep Purple and you're like, wow, I'm going to see Deep Purple. This is awesome. And then John Lord raise, raises out of the floor and you're like, holy crap. I don't know what the price on those tickets was, but they were underpriced.
1: Well, I say I like really um, versions of uh, songs like that mm-hmm. where it's a little bit different, especially. I don't know if you see anybody from obviously the those two guys were on the original Whitesnake version before they updated it for the 87 album but if you um if you hear it on like uh, somebody does it like you were saying karaoke or there's somebody doing it in a band they do that i always like that little twist on it where it's not exactly mm-hmm. the same because it's that familiar song that you enjoy but they're putting their own twist on it or they're not trying to um, strain to maybe hit notes that they can't hit or they just want to do their own spin on it like maybe you know bernie marsden could sing it like Coverdale, but he wanted to kind of do like, like you said, it kind of had a country feel to it, which I didn't quite get until you mentioned that. And I'm like, yeah, I can see that as like, that's where his voice goes. And I think that that's really cool about versions of songs like that, because it would be boring if everybody did it the exact way that it was recorded.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. And that's a song I was definitely, even before I, even before i got into deep purple i was tired of that song you know because just growing up you just heard it everywhere and you're like it's one of those songs you couldn't get away from and you are just oh i'm so tired of this song and it's definitely re it's been rekindled with me uh in 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 the more recent years and discovering the earlier white snake version it's it's great Mm so uh so jackie pace uh says um Uh, Sorry it's taken so long to put this up, but all my time has been spent with family following the sad passing of John Lord. John Lord uh, was the husband of my twin sister, Vicky. He was a father, husband, uncle, brother, brother brother-in-law, and friend to many. We are astounded with the incredible worldwide support and love honoring John's life and music. Thank you all so much. In 2011, John's last live performance took place at the Sunflower Jam. He was also a trustee of the charity and held this event very close to his heart. As a tribute to John, we would like to share some footage of him performing with Rick Wakeman, which we just saw, of the, uh, at the 2011 Sunflower Jam, the piece written by both of them for the Sunflower Jam, titled, It's Not As Big As It Was. We have been asked if the 2012 Sunflower Jam event will be taking place due to our loss, to which we would like to confirm not only will it go ahead, we are working on a tribute to John in true Sunflower style. We love you, Johnny. And that was written by Jackie Pace. Uh, Ian Pace's wife and also the twin sister of John Lord's wife, Vicki. Um, behind me, I've got the uh, All Those Years Ago John Lord book, which um, I hesitate to recommend because it's profoundly expensive. Uh, <laughs> but it's if you are a fan of John Lord and uh, want to read some great passages from some of his friends and loved ones and see some one of one of a kind pictures that you won't see any, anywhere else. It's it's an incredible book. Uh very, very well put together. I consulted Jorg before purchasing it. Uh Jorg of course. of course lets me know whenever some rare deep purple thing is available. Oh, by the way, there's four of these available on this site if you want to get it. And I asked him, you know, and Jorg is very uh what's the word? Very, very kind of straight to the point. And I was, I was like, is it, you know, is it worth it? Is it going to be worth it to buy this this book? And he's like, I have not regretted my purchase. And I was like, okay, good. I'm going to get it then. It's the highest mm-hmm. praise I could get. And uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's a great collector's item. And I'm not really a huge like collector's item guy, but it's more really just about how one of a kind it is and how great it is to kind of read about John. So. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's kind of our... Uh, Closing out our John Lord tribute special. Um, a little different than we did for our Dio tribute special, but uh, I think uh, we've covered some some good ground here tonight. Absolutely. Honoring uh, someone who's been very important to us and continues to be very important to many people. And, uh, you know, someone who continuing to discover this music. And we will be covering more albums and performances by John and in the future on our show. And can't wait till uh, we get to some more John Lord stuff.
3: Yeah,
1: definitely.
0: All right. And with that wraps up another episode next, next week, we'll be coming to you with the son of the former Lieutenant Governor of Rhode Island for an (laughs) undisclosed (laughs) <laughs> An undisclosed episode. People are like, why the hell is this person going to be coming on the show? Who is this person? Oh, well, you're going to find out. And at least one of you is going to be very surprised when you find out who that is. It's one. <laughs> I think it's one of our patrons. So,
1: thank you and very much. I, I know I haven't talked to him in many years. Yeah, it's been a while since you talked to him, right? Yeah, like, 20-something odd years, probably. Yeah. I and mean, we, we used to
0: play a lot with his brother... Mm-hmm. in a band you and i and uh, i played with both his brother and him in bands and many yeah. in the past so it's gonna be a lot of fun to talk to him about this very special episode we have coming up so yeah for sure all right well thank you everybody for listening and we will check you next week okay bye-bye bye thank you for listening to the deep purple podcast If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also give us a rating on iTunes to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening.
1: I called it lurking in the shadows because, like, I turned around and he's like in the dining room, and he's just standing there. And I'm in the the kitchen is open into the dining room, so I looked and he's just like walking through there, but he stopped and he's just standing there. And then I heard like he <laughs> like pass gas, and then I started to laugh. And he goes, "Hey, that sounded like an F shop." <laughs>